You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. Now, here's Pastor Rick or another member of our team with this week's message. Okay, so here's, here's kind of the problem, though, even with using the word success. Because when you use it, what do people think of? They think of money, right? I mean, we always think of money. I want, I want to give you something else. Think of. Really, I'm hoping this sermon challenges you today to make, make some changes in the way you think about some things, okay? Because in reality, I don't, I don't have a lot of people ask me about praying for money or that kind of thing. It, it happens occasionally. I don't have a lot of people doing that. And uh, so, you know, so what is the great need of the day? Some, sometimes we think, oh, we need one more sermon. I, I think, you know, if you ask a pastor, you ask a pastor, what is it that the church needs? They need one more great sermon. You ask a worship leader, you know, what, what, is, what does the church need? What, what do Christians need? What does the world need to hear out of us? You know what? I believe that worship pastor say, there's one more song. We need to write one more song that just carries us over. If you ask a member of the prayer team, what is it that people need today? The people that have come into our building, the people that are regulars and people here for the first time, what is it that they need? Prayer team members probably going to say they need prayer. And uh, there, there, there is so much of it there. But what is it that people need? Kerry Newhoff, and you, you've heard me quote him from time to time. He said, people aren't starved for information. They're starved for meaning. We want that we desire to have meaning in our life. I've told you before that when um, I really felt God speaking to me about being in ministry, I asked Him for two things, and uh, you know, I, and I, I wasn't bargaining with God, but I said, "I'll go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do." But God, I ask you for two things. I said, "Don't I don't want to lose my family," and then the second one is, "I want to have impact everywhere that I go. I want to have influence. I want to have meaning." I mean, that's really. The, the craving desire of most of us, our heart, is, is that we want to really have some meaning. I mean, that's where depression so often sneaks into our lives is when we look around and say, what's the meaning? Why am I doing this? Why am I killing myself? Why am, and, and, and depression sits in sometimes because we don't see meaning. We don't feel meaning. That's why big events happen in our life, and sometimes it resurrects that feeling of meaning. There's meaning because, oh, that's going to happen, and it's going to happen again, those things that... And we need, we need, not just crave it, but we need to have meaning in our lives. So let me, let me set this up just a little bit further with three, with three statements real quick, okay? Uh, next slide for me there, if you will, Tommy. That God did not intend that we always struggle financially or whatever, in your family, in your marriage. God never intended that. I think sometimes some people think that I'm going through a tough time because God wants me to go through a tough time. God never intended that. But you and I, we have problems. That's the way the world is. He never intended you to struggle all the time, but neither did God intend that we pursue financial gain for selfish purposes. You know, when Jesus was about to leave, his last words to his disciples, I think were probably some of the most important, right? I mean, you know, isn't that what you do when you're, t- when you're leaving someone presence? You want to tell them the most important thing, love you, you know, uh, be safe, you know, uh, and some of you heard, I, I think I've said this in the past, that, that David's dad, whenever, whenever my kids got old enough to drive, her dad would always tell them as they were leaving, you know, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. So it's kind of become, you know, a, a little joke. Sometimes I'll, 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 tell, I'll tell Brent, don't do drugs, because he remembers that, don't do drugs. You know, uh, and he always used to tell David, don't pick up any hitchhikers, too. You know, so, and, uh, 
I don't know why he had to tell her. He didn't have to tell her that, but, but uh, uh, he said, don't pick up any hitchhikers. You know? And so you kind of tell people the important stuff right before you leave, right? And you know what? In that, we call it now the Great Commission. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Okay, so as he's speaking that, you know what? I don't see anything in there about finances. I don't see anything in there about money. I don't see anything in there about the corporate world. What I see is, is Jesus saying we have to reach the world. We have, to, we have to reach them in some way. Here's what God does intend. He intends for us to have life with meaning. He does intend that. He, he, his dream for your success is that you have life with meaning. And, and I'm going to define, personally, I'm going to define this today in this way, that a life of success is a life with meaning. That God intends us to have meaning. And, I, you know, I, drawing this distinction between success and, and finances, I think finances and, and making money is a part of that, but it's not the same as. It's, it's, sometimes being successful has nothing to do with money. And if you thought I was going to preach you, when you heard me say finances earlier, or you saw success on the screen, or maybe you looked at the sermon notes a little early today and you saw that, maybe you're disappointed now because I'm not going to give you five steps to getting rich this morning. Because that's, that's not what success is all about. That's not what meaning is all about. I, I, I went to Google and, and uh, I threw in a bunch of bunch of search uh, phrases trying to find, you know, I, I thought of two or three people, but I'm trying to find some other examples because it seems like I use the, a couple of these I use a lot, you know, when, when I'm talking about this kind of thing. But every time, you know, if it had rich money, finances, or, or an example in it, even if I, I tried to say without money or poor people that have been successful, and you know, it still just brings up money. Money, money. I mean, that, all of the searches kept bringing up those examples of people who made it because they made a lot of money. That's, that's really what I'm trying to tell you not, that God intends for us to have life with meaning. Here, here's the examples, one of them, right? Mother Teresa. Is there anybody that would disagree with me today when I say Mother Teresa had a successful life, a life with meaning? Nobody disagrees with that. But she wasn't a rich lady. She actually chose a life of abnegation, of self-induced poverty, so that she could minister to people. Her life wasn't, wasn't awesome because of money. Her life was awesome, and she was successful in life because it had meaning. Martin Luther King, Jr., who, who, would, who would disagree with me? Now, he didn't have a lot of money either. In my reading, what, I, what I've discovered is that uh, when he was a pastor, he made $8,000 a year. $8,000 a year. Of course, that's a few years ago, so that's supposed to kind of uh, adjusted for inflation reaches something like in the high 40s or maybe $50,000. Okay, good salary, but he's not getting rich off of that, is he? You know, but is that, I mean, have you even asked that question ever before? I mean, is that something that comes in your mind when, no, not when you think of Martin Luther King Jr., you're not thinking of, of riches, you're not thinking, a man that only lived 39 years, didn't even see his 40th birthday, but would, would you call him a success or a failure? Obviously, he's a success, but not for those things that so many times we get our, our minds focused on, but he was successful because he had a life of meaning, and I'm spending a lot of time here. I'll, I'll, I'll say this one real quick. Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, you know what, I, I, I've never even asked, you know, what was her net, net worth? 
I've never even asked that question. I've never asked, you know, how much money did she make? But by standing up for what she believes, by sitting down on a bus, this woman ended up with a lot more meaning and success in her life than probably most of us will do, ever have in our life. Why? It wasn't about money. It was about meaning. There's a story that in the Bible, and some of you will recognize it. If you've been here for a little while, you'll definitely recognize it. There was a time last year, I think toward the end of the year, that in four sermons we mentioned this story in the Bible three times out of those four sermons. It's about a rich young man that comes to Jesus and wants to, be, uh, wants to uh, have eternal life. He says, what else do I need to do? Or what, what else can I do to be perfect? And so they have a little discussion about the Ten Commandments and the best commandments and all that kind of a thing. And he says, I've, already, I've, I've kept all those all my life. What else do I need to do to be perfect? And, and incidentally, if you go to the sermon notes uh, that, that Justin was talking about just a few moments ago on the Connect page, you go there, you'll see all these scriptures that uh, don't have time to necessarily read them. This whole story's right there to see it. Here's what Jesus said. The last thing you need to do is sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And he went away sorrowfully because he was a young man that had a lot of stuff. And so sometimes I think we look at that and say, so God's telling us if we got too much stuff, we can't follow him? I don't think that's what he was telling him. I think, I think God talks to us individually about some of those kinds of things that we need to get out of our life. Here's what I believe. What I believe, as Jesus was saying, is you've got some authority. You've got some power. You've got some money. You've got some possession. But you're standing here asking me this question because your life has no meaning. You want to have some meaning? Sell everything you got. Give it away to the poor and follow me and you will find meaning in your life. That's all Jesus was trying to help this young man with is help him find meaning. That's what he was really asking for. He wanted to know what it, what it would take for me to have meaning in my life. And Jesus told him. And that, that was just too much. I hope, I hope you won't be that way. I hope you won't be that way. I hope you'll listen today to what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you about getting meaning in your life. There, there's, a, there's a business, a, a Christian business leader, uh, speaker that I, I follow also, writes a lot of awesome stuff. And, and some of it's relatable right to the church. Some of it's, it's more business kind of stuff. But Michael Hyatt, and he, here's something he said, okay. He said, if you change your thinking, you will change your actions. And if you change your actions, you will change your outcomes. And if you change your outcomes, you will change your life. It is that simple. All right, but here's, that's, it, it, we say simple. But how many of you have ever said something needs to change in my life and you couldn't get there? I mean, right? Don't we, don't we get Is that what happens? Is we need to change something, but we just can't get there. But here's the problem is we try to change our life and our outcomes. We try to change the end result, big things. Like we, we try to change our life, like a, uh, maybe change jobs or change careers or change schools or, or uh, drop a class and add a class, change majors in school or, or uh, change our relationships. Sometimes even change our spouses, right? And we do that, but what we're doing is we're working on the wrong end because you, you put all that, and, and I tell this all the time. Anytime somebody asks me about divorce, should I get divorced, whatever. Every, everybody's different, but I, I say this all the time, all the time to them is, is if sometimes if we're just working on the end result, if we're not fixing what else is wrong, we can have a, a new spouse, we can have a new job, we can have a new school. We can have new friends. But if we're not changing that part up there about our thinking and our actions, we're going to continue to find ourselves in the same old place, just with a different spouse or a different job or a different school, is that it has to start there, in here inside of us, not out here with what everybody sees with our lives and the outcomes, but in here. 
Because this is where, this is where it germinates. This is where it grows. This is where power comes from. The, the, the decision that I'm changing my thinking, and you change your thinking, it changes your actions, which changes your outcomes, which changes your life. And so Michael Hyatt, he said something in, in this very same post where he, where he said that. He talked about a difference between scarcity thinkers and abundance thinkers. And uh, I, I adapted some of that for this next part of the sermon right here. Scarcity thinkers. Scar- people who think always in terms of scarcity, they live bound by the fear there will never be enough. You don't have to raise your hand, but you need to acknowledge if that's me. I'm always, I, there's never going to be enough. Scarcity thinkers are stingy with their knowledge, contacts, and compassions, not to mention their blessings and their financial and that stuff too. Scarcity thinkers default to suspicion. So they often find it difficult to build relationships that, that they are immediately suspicious of other people. Scarcity thinkers resist challenges because I, I don't want to challenge because it might decrease my opportunities. It might weaken me when I'm challenged. Scarcity thinkers ask, how can I get by with giving less or doing less? You know, because uh, there's just a certain amount that I've got, so I've got to get by with less because I'm, you know, thinking scarcity-wise. Scarcity thinkers think small and avoid risk at all costs. Scarcity thinkers feel entitled. There's only so much to go around, so, you know, I, I deserve my part of that. Scarcity thinkers are pessimistic about the futures. They think they will always have tough times in life. And so as a result, scarcity thinkers live fearful. They live fearful. There's a lot of ways then that you can let scarcity thinking get in the way of your life and what God wants to do in your life. There's a lot of ways that, that the enemy can steal what God is trying to do and put in your life. Let me, let me give you one more example. John Piper. Um, if you know him, a pastor and, and, and author, and he's well-known, renowned, and he was telling a story one morning preaching, and this was, this was several years ago. He was telling a story of a, of a couple, and, and, he, and he discovered this story in Reader's Digest, and I believe the date was February 1998, so it's been a few years since the story was written. And he said, and there was a story of a man that, that uh, retired early at 59 years of age. Man, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? His wife was 51. That sounds pretty awesome too, doesn't it, ladies? To retire with enough money and everything. Moved to Florida. And so they spent all their time cruising out on their boat, uh, playing softball, and collecting seashells. So, I mean, how exciting does that sound to you? Well, you know what? It didn't sound very exciting to John Piper. Because here's how, here's how he wrapped up. Here's, how, here's the summary of it after he told the story to his congregation. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. That's a tragedy. And so if we don't change our attitude, and I think some of us have an attitude of, of retirement, Christians never retire. You know what, I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard some of the Marines in, in our church, I mean, some of you are saying, we don't have any Marines in our church, see any uniforms? No, because I've accidentally said ex-Marine before, or former Marine. And if you know a Marine, just ask them, They'll tell, there are no ex-Marines. There are no former Marines. There are always Marines, and that's the way Christians are. We don't retire. There's already, always someone who needs to know not just about the saving power of Jesus, but the keeping power of Jesus. The, the, the blessings that are there and the, and the wonder and the amazement, the, the, the things that he can do for us. And, and even in the middle, 
especially in the middle. I mean, what Marine has, has shown himself, you know, just laying around in the barracks, right? I mean, it's when you're out there and doing it, what, what Christian really shows themselves? I mean, we're in the barracks this morning. This is important that we come and, and we get poured into, but it's like we're in the barracks this morning. This is where we all come together, but we've got war to do this afternoon. We've got war to do this, this week, and, and, and we've, got to, we've got to realize that there are, there are no retirement ages as a Christian, but every one of us has to keep moving and keep moving and keep moving, and, and when you don't, it's like your scarcity thing. Well, I've only got so many more years in this life. I've only got this much money in my retirement. So it's easy, at whatever stage of life you're in, it's easy to have a scarcity mindset. But that's not God's mindset. God is a God of abundance. Can I get another amen besides just that one? God is a God of abundance. Don't believe me. Okay, again, here's some scriptures for you, but I don't have time to read them all, but they're there on the connect page, the sermon notes, if you want to read through them, okay? That God is all about abundance. Psalm 23 and 5 is where he says, my cup runs over. Why in the world would God pour more than you need? That's, that's just who he is, right? In 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, this is, this is where God talks about, I, I will give you everything you need and some for the people around you, something that you can share. Did you know God said that? Read that scripture this afternoon. That God, God's dream is to give you everything you need and some extra so that you've got some to give to someone else. Deuteronomy 28 and 12, this is where God made a promise to Israel. You know what he said? He said, you're always going to loan to other nations and never have to borrow from them. That you're going to be so blessed. This, this God of abundance said, I am going to so bless you, you are, you are going to never have to borrow from another nation. Nations are going to come to you because you've got the plenty. Or, or John chapter 10 and, and verse 10 is where Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life more. That word, right? He's all about abundance. Or, or Luke chapter, th- chapter 6, verse 38, he talks about givers. Jesus saying, when you give, then it'll be given back to you. Good measure. Press down. Y'all know what that means, don't you? Y'all, y'all have ever tried to put off taking the garbage out one more day, right? Good Press down, shaken together, running over, shall they pour into your lap and just dump it into your lap uh, without measure, abundance. Uh, or Matthew chapter 13 and 12. And Jesus, where he's talking here, he's not talking about finances, he's talking about abundance. And he says, if you follow me, if you listen to my instructions, if you do what I'm telling you to do, then you will have an abundance of knowledge. I will pour that on you. So e- even in that, if you, if you say, I need some wisdom, I need some knowledge, I don't know what to do with my life, or I don't know what to do with this situation, Jesus said, follow me, chase after me, look at, look at the instruction and information I want to give you, because if you do that, you're going to have an abundance of knowledge. And Luke chapter 9, verse 17, this is, this is a story of, of an example of Christ's abundance, that when he fed the 5,000, With that little boy's lunch, he blessed it, multiplied it so that there was a blessing enough for everybody. Do you know what they did at the end? They took up leftovers. Twelve baskets of leftovers. My God is a God of abundance and leftovers. I I believe if we ever have meetings around here or something, I always believe we need to, there should be leftovers when we're done. You know, because if there's leftovers, then I know we had enough. If we're out, then I'm afraid somebody didn't get enough. I think that's the attitude of God. Is, is that I want to make sure that you have enough and that you have enough. Remember that, that other scripture up there, that you have enough to share with somebody else. That everything about him, everything about him shouts abundance. 
And if God is all about abundance, then shouldn't his followers be too? That our thinking should be abundant thinking, not scarcity. So let's, let's revisit those statements from earlier, but let's change them around now to abundant thinking, right? Abundance thinkers, they know there is always more where their last blessing came from. Anybody know that? We, we just sang it a few minutes ago, right? I, 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 don't, I don't need to know about the future because I already know about the past. And Jesus Christ was saying yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it then, he can do it here as well, right? Here's the scripture, Philippians 4:19. This same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Didn't say the banker, and bankers got control of a lot of money. You know, didn't say the richest man in town, he's got a lot of money. Didn't say that. Said God's riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And what are his riches? First Corinthians, First Chronicles 29, 11. David writes, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. And this, and he, he was over the kingdom and he said, And this is your kingdom. Everything belongs to God. So, so when we say everything belongs to God, then, then we look back at that. Wait a minute. He's going to take care of all of my needs, supply all of my needs. How? By his riches in glory. Everything that he owns is, is, is right there, right on tap, ready for him to just take and to put into your life. You need some wisdom. It's right there. You need some joy. It's right there. You need some peace. Some of you are sitting here in desperate need of peace today. And it's right there. Everything that he owns, everything that he has because he owns it all. He is so over every bit of it, and he is sovereign over this kingdom of Jesus Christ as well. I mean, we could stop right here and say, really, we know, we know everything we need to know about that. But let's, let's look at those others as quickly as I possibly can. Uh, abundance thinkers are happy to share knowledge. You know, when, you, when you're a person of scarcity, you think, oh, I can't share because I've only got so much. But if you're an abundant thinker and you believe that there is always more from where you got your last blessing, then it doesn't hurt your feelings to give to somebody else because you know there's more coming. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them selfishly to take care of yourself. Is that what it said? Never, ever, anywhere in the Bible. And so, but you know what? This is, I think this is a scripture. We talk about spiritual gifts sometimes in, around here. you know. And, and when we talk about spiritual gifts, we think about spiritual gifts for us that's not the purpose. That's not the purpose of spiritual gifts or, or spiritual fruit. It's so that you can use them well to serve one another. Because Galatians chapter 6, 7, don't forget. I mean, it's said several times in the Bible, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And, and, and then Paul writes that. He says, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. Abundant thinker says, no problem. When, when I give this to somebody else and it dies for me and it's somebody else, there's more coming my way. That's what abundant thinkers, abundant thinkers know. Go on to the next slide for me. I'm going to try to hurry. Abundant thinkers have trust as their default, willingly building relationships. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like when you meet somebody or you see somebody, your default is trust when you're an abundance thinker. That I'm not the only one who is trying to live right. That I'm not the only one who honors God with my money, my time, my effort, my job. My, I, I'm not the only one. That there's an uh, abundance thinkers have a default of trust. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. How close do you let people get to you? I, I really fear that we're living in a day of walls. That we learn how to build walls around us so that nobody can ever hurt us ever again. But if you can get this mindset changed in you to be like God's mindset, then you won't have to build the walls. You can take them down. Because Jesus said, remember that first sermon in this series? 
Jesus said, you can't do this alone. You're trying and you're struggling. You can't do this alone. You need one another. And that other person is going to sharpen you. Let's go to the next slide. Next slide. Because these are building on each other. They welcome challenges. They believe. In, they increase their opportunities, make them better and stronger. Romans 5, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us de develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope that when we have problems, we don't automatically default to, oh no, the world is falling apart. But we say, my God is still able, in the middle of this problem, my God is still able to supply all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, because that's everything. And, and, and you're not knocked down. When you have an abundance mindset, like God, you're not knocked down and destroyed by every little problem that comes along. Next slide. Abundance thinkers ask, how can I give more? Awesome story. Acts chapter 4, just two verses. Tell it real quick. There was, a, there was this Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Why would you do that? Why, why would anybody do something like that? It's because there was a need. And you know, th this abundant mindset, this abundant mentality that, that Joseph, who was called a son of encouragement, if that was his nickname, wow, what a nickname, right? After people met you, they started calling you that. What a nickname. You know what? He's, he started seeing needs, and he says, there's got to be a way for me to supply these needs. There's got to be something that I can do to help these needs. And i got that piece of land over there that I'll never build on anyway. And, and, what, and he, you know, it's, it's just an investment. I want to invest in the kingdom. That's why he sold it, and he brought the money to meet the need. You see, when you're an abundance thinker, you're not worried about it because you know, again, there's more where that came from. That whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Uh, next slide. Abundance thinkers dream big. Accepting risk is a necessary, as necessary for all things worthwhile. You know that? You know anything worth having, it's worth working for? You know anything worth having, it's worth putting other things at risk for? That if you won't have great, right, what do you, you got to give up some good sometimes. And and not be worried about that because 2 Timothy 1 and 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power and love and self-discipline. And Tommy Barnett said this, dream a dream so big, only God can fulfill it. If you aren't dreaming dreams bigger than you, then you aren't relying on God because you're only dreaming what you can do. And your marriage will only be as good as you can make it. And your kids will only be as successful under you. Maybe when they get out from under you and they go out there in the world, they, they learn something beyond that. But when, but when you can't, that, that's as far as they can go. We have, we have to allow God to release this abundance mindset and thinking that is all in us already. Oh, and I really want to talk here a little bit about some examples. I'm going to say them real quick. Noah. He had a dream and he saved his family. That was God's dream, wasn't it? Yeah, but he jumped on it, right? Abraham had a dream of being the father of so many people that you won't, cannot count them. Check that one off, dream realized. Now, Joseph had a dream. He didn't understand it, but he had a dream. Something amazing was going to happen, and it happened. Uh, that, that coat of many colors, Joseph. Uh, David. And we just read some of his words a few moments ago. He had a dream. He had a dream. And, and the Apostle Paul, we're going to wrap up here with the Apostle Paul, okay? The Apostle Paul, he had a dream that, that when he was under arrest, being transported on a prisoner transport ship, being transported to Rome, 
on his way to Rome to stand before Caesar and give an account because he had been arrested for preaching Jesus. Preaching sedition is probably the way they would have put it, but just because he was preaching Jesus. And on his way, imprisoned, and on his way to give account to Caesar, you know what? He's, He's still speaking out his dreams of preaching in Rome, preaching in Spain, preaching in Crete, even while he's under arrest and knowing all these things, and he's still dreaming these big, huge, awesome dreams. Next slide. Talking about Paul, right? Abundance thinkers are grateful for their abundance. I don't have time to read that one to you, but according to a scientific study, all of those things happen when you are grateful, when you appreciate what God has given to you. Next slide. Uh, Abundance thinkers are optimistic about the future, believing the best is yet to come. Acts 27, 25, so take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. If I say that to you this morning, take courage. I believe it will be just like God said it will be. Does that encourage you to hear that today? Does that encourage you? But that's, that's without a, any context. Can, can I give you the context? That slave boat, or that um, prison boat that, that Paul was on, it had been in a storm. And, and they had not seen the light of day. And men weren't eating. Tells me they were probably seasick from the storm. And, and, you know, Paul's wanting to know. Paul's probably praying. And in the middle of the night, an angel comes to him. Now, he doesn't say, Paul, I got good news and bad news. What do you want first? Maybe he did, and they just didn't write it down that way, okay? But there was some good news, and there was some bad news. The bad news is the boat that he was safe on, even in the middle of this storm, said, this boat's going to be destroyed. You're going to lose the boat, Paul. But he said, you're not going to lose a soul on this boat. Everyone is going to live. And then Paul stood up before the men. They were all still worried. He said, guys, come on, let's eat. Get some strength about us because we got a journey ahead of us. We're going to have to jump in the water and swim to that island over there. Because the angel of the Lord stood beside me this night. And he told me that, that we're going to lose the ship, but that we're not going to lose one single person on this ship. Now, when you hear, take courage, for I believe God, it will be just as he said. When you understand the context, you see, he's, he's not standing up on, on, on a stage in Gardendale, Alabama, middle of the Bible belt, and, and you know, and all that junk going on out there, and, you know, and all the things that, you know, and the news that you see and all of that, and yet here I'm in my safe place. I'm in the, you know, I'm in the barracks with you guys. This was not where Paul was. This was Paul was in a place in his life that everything that he knew that was solid was about to fall out from under him. And yet still, oh, come on somebody here today that you're struggling with life. Feel like it's falling apart. You need to hear this again. That still in that moment he says, don't be discouraged. Don't fear because I believe God it will be just as it was said to me. And I believe, and I challenge you with that. And this is the last slide. Okay, we're wrapping up with Paul. Here's something that Paul lived. Because of that, Paul lived confidently, like abundance thinkers do. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. He says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory. That what, what, is, he, what is he capable of doing? What, do you, what can you dream? He is capable of doing exceedingly and abundantly more than you can even dream. And I don't know about you, but I can dream some good things. I can dream some big stuff, but he's able to do more than I can even dream, is what Paul said. Uh, And then I'll wrap it up with this from Romans chapter 8, verse 38. 
Here's what Paul was confident of. This, this, is, this is why it's because he had gotten persuaded in, in his thinking, because he had an abundance mindset now, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, uh, nor, I'm sorry, nor, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That there is nothing. Yeah, give God a hand of praise for that one. I asked my 11-year-old granddaughter this morning, what does that mean? She, she, she read it. She said, that means God will always be there, that nothing can take him away from you. So wherever you are today, whatever you're struggling with, the storms that are bashing your boat and threatening to crush it right beneath your feet, be encouraged like Paul was. Understand and look back and think about it. If you don't have those stories in your past, like that first song we sang, right? If you don't have those stories to testify to you of the past, ask somebody. I can tell you some. I can share with you. I can let you know. And, and, and these past stories are the indication of what God can do for me right where I am in the middle of my struggles and battles and problems and, and fears and, and for those that need healings, for those that need financial blessings, for those that need a, a new job, for, for those that need a, a healing in their marriage, for those that need a, a, a renewal or reconciliation between them and their kids or them and their parents, for, for whatever it is that you need, he owns it all and it's sitting right here beside him ready to just hand it out. Take courage. Take courage in that. And, and I, I, want, I, want us to, I want us to come. We're going to come to the front. I want us to do this in this way. I want you to come with the expectation we're going to come down here and we're going to praise him for being that kind of God that he is. We're going to sing a last song, okay? And I want us to already have in our mind, we're going to praise him for being the kind of God he is. That he has all that stuff just, just, just right there, ready to hand out. And he's done it all these centuries and millennia to the people who follow him and love him. And he'll do it for you today, too. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.